0: Welcome to the Expeditioners Podcast, where we speak with the folks who are leading the way in IT and security. I'm your host, Zach Wasserman, CTO of Fleet and co-creator of Query. Now, on with the expedition. Hello and welcome. I am here with Niels Hoffmans, who is the head of security and operations at Integrity, which is uh, Europe's largest bug bounty platform. Niels, thanks so much for joining the show today.
1: Hi, Zach. No, no problem at all. Uh, first of all, thanks for inviting me. I'm the guest. Be, I should be thankful to you.
0: And Niels, I understand you're joining us from, uh, from Europe, nearly the end of your week, uh, uh, just outside of Brussels. And for those who can't see, which is everyone listening, he's got a beautiful uh, yard in the background. It looks really nice.
1: Yeah, it's good. The camera is tilted a, a bit to the top, so you can't see that I need to mow the grass this week. And, uh, yeah, it's m- making up appearances, right?
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Niels. And and what we often like to do on the show is kind of start out with with what's your story? You know, how did you get to where you are in in cybersecurity? I love to understand. You know, what was the progression that you took uh, to get? where you are today and then we'll kind of look more at the present day and and the future as we go through but but Niels what what would you say is your story that got you to this point?
1: Yeah quite a fun story to tell actually is that I was around 14 years old and I was quite into this uh, online uh, role-playing game Runescape if you know it or in case you ever played it yeah and and I was quite fond of it Uh, I played it lots and lots and lots of hours Uh, And in the end, I got into the cheating scene. So there were all kinds of uh, programming bots that were written to automate the game. So on one uh, one kind it was based on reflection, so reading out the game memory and then clicking things, and the other side it was more based on, on color detection, etc. So that that actually got got me into programming and uh, programming Java for the first time, which was quite daunting, as I must say. Uh, but it was quite fun to get into IT and then learning how to, for example, break stuff to to do to make things do what you want and then find things work around, suppose when they do implement other countermeasures, so you're starting to see the, the comparison with the cybersecurity world. And in the end, I made a jump into actually more of the specific security things, like, for example, uh, developing proof of concepts of malware. In the end, I got, I got jumped into some kind of Russian malware forum, experimenting with stuff, etc. That got me into Turbo Pascal, all at a young age. So I, I really liked experimenting with all kinds of stuff. Um, and that made it clear to me that I really want to do something in the cybersecurity space because I wanted to to work with something that changed every day, be challenged from day to day, uh, and try new and exciting things. And in the end, you have break things, uh, which, which keeps the adrenaline flowing.
0: Um, very, very cool. And it, it, Niels, it reminds me of, of kind of my start in... Uh, you know, learning a bit more about the internals of computers and edging towards security through things like hooking up the game shark to the game boy and being able to poke memory addresses that way or, or crackers for pirated games uh, early on before <laughs> I could get my parents to buy them for me. Um, Remember the days that,
1: that even key gems or crackers? Which included sprites and music were still sixty kilobytes or so, or even less. Those were the days, and you can still find the tunes on YouTube. By the way, it's
0: they sound amazing. Oh wow! I'll I'll have to look that up later. So how how did you make the transition from kind of uh, amateur hacker into professional?
1: Um so I did a couple of uh let's call them blue sec jobs, uh consulting, etc. And then actually per accident I got into contact with the CEO of Integrity, Stan Jans, because I was working for a customer of ours uh back then. And then actually got us you know, cooperating, working together. So I was actually sitting on the other end of the table and I really learned what, what the big bounty scene was all about and I really yeah, attracted me to, to, to the whole bunch. Then afterwards, uh, I took a sidestep, uh, sideward, some other projects. But in the end, I, I finally got asked to join Integrity and to, to help build us uh, and build up trust for our customers. Because in the end, if you look at it, if you're familiar with the Big Bounty concept, we store confidential data as a service. So one of the major challenges for us is being able to convince customers that we're worthy of, of storing their confidential data. Uh, and that's quite a challenge, but yeah, that's actually what I pretty much like uh, about the job. We've been able to convince the larger names of these worlds to to be able to work with us, and that's the highest form of appraisal that you can get, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. And would you say that you sort of receive an extra level of of scrutiny because you're you're probably dealing with security teams on the other side? of these customers? Are they looking for kind of a higher standard of, of security on your end at Integrity?
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's say with the quote quote regular customers, we of course go through the regular procurement process. Like, okay, do you have security certifications, ISO, SOC2, whatever? Uh, what does your security documentation look like, architecture? Well, of course, for the more bigger customers looking to store their, their really confidential data with us, we go, or it's possible to go for a complete review process of, okay, what does your technical architecture look like? What components are you using? Are you, for example, using hardware security modules? Uh, what does your process trust process look like, your data flows, etc. What specific security controls do you have? How do you have them tuned? So the bigger ones really go into depth to see, okay, this small company actually from Belgium, are they actually doing what's right? And is it making sense for us? Uh, Because, yeah, why should we trust them if we could go for a much bigger competitor, let's say? What are the pros and the cons? And up until now, we've always been, been able to convince them to, uh, to work with us, and that's quite nice.
0: That That's awesome. Do you have any tips for folks who are kind of uh building out security programs and thinking about, you know, how do we prioritize the work so that we can establish trust with our customers? Like I know on your LinkedIn, you mentioned doing ISO, SOC 2, you know, various compliance standards. Uh, but, you know, what what would you reach for as your kind of tool set to really establish a real level of security and also trust with uh, your customers?
1: Yeah, first of all... First step, and that's really important one, is taking a step back and thinking about, okay, what does our risk posture really look like? I know that for most people, from medium to small enterprises, etc., we're often caught up in, in the day-to-day operations, not even thinking about the, the whole bigger picture, why we're doing things and, and looking at the whole holistic thing, but really disconnecting, taking a step back and thinking about, okay, what are the, the potential threats that could happen to us? How could they get in and then really doing trying to do a whole threat model and a whole risk assessment of the company and seeing, okay, what are what are our threats that we could face today? For example, is it worth it to be able to be hardening applications in our container infrastructure when Barbara from accounting is still getting fished and, and installing malware, for example. So be able to put focus to the right things at the right time because it's not, not everyone's able to, to fix everything at the same time. And even the bigger companies are still struggling to, to solve some of the security challenges. So that's quite something difficult to do. And it's also very much dependent on the context that a specific company is in. really thinking about what is important to me and how I'm going to protect that uh, and then, what budget do I have? So, what's what's my risk appetite, right?
0: So yeah, that's first.
1: They're... Sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say that really resonates with me because we see organizations of all sizes continuing to struggle with the, with the fundamentals, you know, uh, like mm-hmm. someone in accounting getting fished, or making sure that devices are at a, a baseline level of configuration, like, you know, disk encryption and, and screen lock and OS updates, that kind of stuff. So, it, you know, there's such a range of tasks that can be tackled and it, it's interesting to see the cycles that people go through of like, you know, get the fundamentals done, work on some kind of more advanced stuff, but then ending, ending up, I think, really returning to the fundamentals uh, it becomes a, a real part of the, the process and even, I think, very mature organizations.
1: Yes, yeah, for sure. and and. Even then, sometimes it's not even a knowledge issue or, or, or a people problem, but even a technical one. Like if you look at the email as a protocol, it, it's horrible. Eh? If we if we see what we have to work with today, okay, we, we can say it's decentralized, and so we get that that plus point. But it's seeing the, the amount of threats still happening today, just because we don't have basic email security like SPF etc. configured. It, it's disastrous. <laughs> yeah, what can we say? If if it was easy to do security, uh, we, it wouldn't be a booming industry, of course.
0: <laughs> it's the wild. It's the wild west still with email, for sure. <laughs> so, so, Niels, um, you know, Integrity is a bug bounty platform. You've been there for a few years. Do you have any uh, interesting stories uh, from bug bounties you've encountered, either you know, internally? Uh, Uh, reports or, or experience that you've received there or things that have happened with your customers that you're able to share publicly?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, we, we can stay more on the general side, but there's quite some interesting stuff to share there. That uh, a number that we often share with prospects, for example, is and that's still an astounding number to me. It's probably a bit, a bit a year old or so, but it's still pretty much valid. Is that we often state in our marketing materials that 71% of customers get a critical or high severity submission within 48 hours when they join our platform. So that's independent of how many pen tests, penetration tests that they did, red team engagement, etc. cetera, still 71% within 48 hours. And I think that very much resonates the whole confirmation of, of the big bounty concept of you can do what you want, but there's still gonna be one creative genius, let's say, that finds a workaround and finds that that web application firewall bypass to then exploit a certain vulnerability in your product. And someone who's driven enough to to be able to pull that out because we know it's not a matter of being perfectly secure or not, but it's more a, a matter of being able to invest enough time and cost to be able to to breach something. And that's something crazy that we see with Big Bounty. And that really drives the added value for our customers. And that's that's amazing to see basically.
0: That is so cool. It's so amazing the creativity that uh, that folks use to find vulnerabilities and to chain them together to increase mm. the impact. It is, it, it, and then it's really we even exciting. see the collaboration
1: between researcher groups, right? So we, for example, have researchers that find a web application bypass, which isn't exploitable on its own, but then they collaborate with another group who, who then got a, a web application vulnerability to then, for example, dump the database but they couldn't get around to web application then they collaborate which is also a native feature on a platform and then together they actually get that that fake bounty uh, from the company and, and get their security posture up
0: okay that's that's really interesting that the platform supports collaboration in that way because i i can definitely see how they how you'd want to be able to piece together the puzzle like that to be able to you know show more impact and i think that that's that's constantly a challenge for security teams from what i've seen is like there's so many threats out there and we can we can look at we can look at our threats and vulnerabilities but we can't really address all of them and so prioritizing things based on the the impact the the, the highest impact that we can kind of demonstrate is a really useful tool and i like the idea that your platform helps to uh, bring together the researchers to, to do that kind of collaboration.
1: Yeah, and it also nicely couples back to the whole open source thing within cybersecurity, which is also thriving, right? So we, uh, we have, for example, all these researchers who are developing yeah, free security tools, which are then used in the end by the blue teams, but in the end also by, by the red teams or researchers themselves to be able to find stuff, and they actually collaborate on the same product an example of that was, for example, when the the dreaded lock for j lock for shell thing happened all over the world. Uh, we were actually collaborating with our researchers in building a nuclei, which is a vulnerability scanner, a web vulnerability scanner, and we we were collaborating in, in creating the uh, detection template to be able to find it. and then we actually shared it back to our researchers so that they could find all the vulnerabilities for our customers because we were able to do so because of the complexity, the, the scale, et cetera. And in the end, that was a, a, a purely win-win situation. Customers were able to use the, the signature to, to hunt for it themselves. And in the end, the researchers themselves were also were able to, to, to find them, report them, and then get rewards for the effort. So it was a, a, a superb collaboration, and I think it really it really mattered at that point.
0: That's, that's so cool. And of course, I love open source and have been involved with open source security for almost 10 years. And, and it's just so cool to see the way that the community comes together uh, to kind of help raise everyone up through these kind of tools. So Niels, I saw on your on your LinkedIn profile, you described yourself as an open sorcerer. Uh, which is very cute. Uh, uh, l- love that. What? Uh, but what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Finally, someone asks
1: about it. It's been on my LinkedIn for years and years, I tell you. <laughs> no. But more in general, it's more that I, I, the whole concept of open source completely resonates with me. I also believe that companies should give back to the open source community because the, the whole idea of that open source is free isn't true, of course. It costs people to maintain and even as a company to consume open source that's still... Uh, gives a certain, there's a certain cost you have to pay whether in man-hours, uh, licenses, whatever but still the whole concept of, of open source completely resonates to me I, I also like writing open source stuff sharing a to community contributing to projects even up to the point of just merely uh, issuing bugs for example issues on GitHub itself that even helps fixing typos and documentation um, I think open source is one of the best things to happen to To the whole cybersecurity space, even in in the last ten years, let's say I've only been working for eight years, but <laughs> I'm over overestimating, maybe. But yeah, I I just like it so much of all the value that is that it brought us.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, and I again, as a, someone who's worked in open source, I know for sure it is not is not free, and it requires a lot of work from a lot of different folks. One thing that I think, you know, I think a lot of our listeners would agree, like open source is really important. I wonder if you have any advice for people who are in a position where they're in an organization that doesn't necessarily support open source work very well. Any advice on, you know, if you're an individual contributor, you're a security engineer, you're a software engineer who wants to get into open source, like what would you you say to your management to show them that it's a worthwhile investment? for that organization?
1: First of all, looking at whether you're not using open source internally, but just yeah, not talking about it or forgetting about it, that would be a first. And, and, and yeah, referencing that one, the second one would be pointing at, at the huge open source project that there are, and that's so, so much vouching from big names, uh, I'm thinking of uh, typical examples would be Kubernetes, of course, which evolved from Borg, from, from Google, Then, of course we have Chaos Monkey, uh, from Netflix, We there's all these kinds of superb open source projects that can provide so much value to the company, and it's not that it's open source, that it's a bad thing, right? It's more about an awareness issue of what open source is about. What are the benefits and what are the the potential side effects that you should be be taking into account? So really educating your management about open source itself and trying to find the first track to be able to, 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 to use it. Of course, you don't have to be obliged to. Nobody has to use open source, but there's always going to be a use case within your company where it completely makes sense, and then you just have to implement it responsibly by, for example, investing back, uh, even a simple sponsorship, et cetera, uh, to then get your company name on the GitHub page, for example. There, there's all kinds of stuff where you could be giving back to the project, right?
0: Yeah, totally, totally. And I, I, I hope, to see, hope to see companies of all sizes really continuing to invest in open source because we really all do benefit so much uh, from that kind of investment. So, Neil's looking looking forward a little bit. Like, what do you think? What do you think w- will be the biggest kind of changes and most important things uh, for folks in the security industry to be aware of over the next, say, five years? And I'd I'd be really curious, both kind of generally in security, and then also specifically in bug bounty. Like, what are your thoughts on on how things will evolve over the future?
1: Yeah, more in general, we're gonna see that security even more so has to keep up with all the things evolving like uh, yeah, now we're all struggling for keeping up with, with the cloud security space there's a huge shortage on, on the cloud security profiles on, on, the, on the market itself itself the technology implemented by the vendors etc it's also constantly changing There's large differences between the the different vendors, like GCP, AWS, Azure, et cetera. So that's a big challenge today, but even more so, what we're looking at, and and the question that we often get today is the the whole LLM thing, right? Um, I'm dropping the AI bomb, I know, uh, I shouldn't, but in general, what we're going to do about that, uh, there's perfect use cases for those, but how are we tackling those? Or also thinking about prompt injection, for example, for AI, et cetera. So there's all these kinds of new spaces, even more so blockchain, web-free, whatever, that we aren't completely aren't aware of within the cybersecurity space. And it's going to be even more difficult than it is today to find people specialized in those and raising the awareness and technical knowledge level within the teams. So that's going to be a huge... Yeah, roadblock, I think, that we we have to overcome in the coming years. Um, Luckily, there are lots of people who are graduating specifically cybersecurity. Uh, Now we just have to find the companies that are willing to hire those people that are fresh from from school and and teaching those because you you don't get a a media or senior profile immediately from school, of course. You first have to guide them, teach them. And, and let, them, let them do their thing, and then you, you get your added value to the company. So shout out to the companies to be open to the younger profiles that are um, perhaps don't even have the education, but are still willing to. And, and based on character, the, there's mountains that you can move, right? especially in the cybersecurity space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, again, talking about the investments here, like we're all benefiting from investing in, in bettering the industry with, with open source, bettering the industry with mentorship and bringing in junior folks. And there's a lot of people out there who don't have the skills yet, but they do have the capability and the, the drive and the hunger to uh, be really effective in this field. Something, Something that I like to oh go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah.
1: Something I like to say during interviews is I'm not hiring you for your technical knowledge, but I'm actually hiring your character, the person behind it, because technical knowledge you can teach easily, but in the end you can't chase someone's character when
0: he or she uh, joins the company. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really great. And how about in the in the bug bounty space in particular? Do you anticipate changes over the next years? In my eyes, maybe AIs going like you know the LLM style AIs are going to make some changes there. Possibly both, uh, you know. Automating things on the side of researchers, but maybe also meaning that teams who are reviewing bug bounty submissions are seeing much more stuff that's just been generated by AIs. I wonder what your uh, I wonder what your take is on that. Yeah, so of
1: course we see, we're seeing three sides. So one side would be the researchers working on a platform. Second side would be us as a company, and then third side would be the companies uh, which are uh, hosting company and and uh, big bounty programs on our platform. Right, the first one, the research is there. I believe, and it's even happening today as we speak, is we're going to see huge strides in terms of uh, automation. Uh, up until now, we've mainly seen the more automated one, like for example, web scraping. Uh, subdomain uh, takeover detection etc but I think that's only going to improve and something that we even see today is people building their complete monitoring stacks which would certify as a, as a tech uh, surface management platform but only for their own and then even so uh, yeah, open sourcing it on the internet for other researchers to benefit and I think that's gonna grow even more so uh, of course, there are going to be people that then uh, attach an LLM to then automatically create submissions on big bounty platforms. But yeah, there's there's a whole story around that, whether it's going to benefit the quality of the submissions and in the end, the added value to the to the customer themselves. But of course, that's an issue for us to solve. Um, on the company side, I think we're going to see huge strides in terms of automation as well. And like on two different fronts, one front would be how can we better translate the whole big bounty thing to a more overall risk management thing? How can we translate the testing that's happening to a whole risk posture for a company? So, for example, how do we show a company that, that they're missing, for example, specific assets that our researchers are looking at but that the company doesn't know, for example? And on the other side, also automation in terms of The submissions coming in, what are we going to do about those? Uh, Suppose the submission is fixed, what's going to happen with it? Uh, Is it really fixed? Things like that. So I think strategically there is a huge space still open for us as a company and uh, we're probably going to evolve in that direction. So exciting things ahead uh, for sure and this won't be the last thing that, that we've seen in this space.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It won't be the last thing. Uh, Awesome. Well, Niels, thank you so much for taking the time to come and and speak with us today. And before we wrap up, uh, are are there places that folks should go to find you either online or in person? So, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, how do you like to connect? And then are you going to any of the the upcoming conferences this summer or, or this year?
1: Sadly, I'm not going to make any any conferences this year so to am going to try next year it's literally on, uh, on my to-do list. but people can find me on uh, GitHub, hit up on under uh, Hecott. Uh, we can put in the episode notes I guess uh, yeah. you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can email me uh, and people can find our company at integrity.com.
0: Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. really appreciated this conversation and thank you, uh, so. hope you have a great weekend, Niels. Same to you, thanks Abe.